It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, and this is Talk Commerce. Some days we will be inundated and have to work a 10-hour day. Some days we will be consumed entirely by life, children, family, and other personal things. Yasna Burzna helps us to understand that we need to be present each day for our family and for our work. Yasna explains that we go through stages in our lives like having small children or getting a new job, and we feel overwhelmed. The one thing that we can do every day is to create an anchoring of being present in our lives that we are experiencing every day. Be intentional about your lives and state what your intention is. Yaza Burzna is a certified life coach, business strategist, and inspirational speaker. Yasna works with CEOs and entrepreneurs to establish beliefs, actions, and life patterns to achieve personal and professional goals. She acts as a spiritual and personal advisor to successful and high net worth individuals. Yasna deeply values spirituality and life meaning over vanity and success at all costs. She is the founder of Up Level Together Mastermind, the largest mastermind for successful female entrepreneurs in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. Please enjoy this episode and learn about life balance and work balance. Talk Commerce is sponsored by Haifa, or as the Europeans say, Hufa, or the right way to say it. Hufa is rapidly becoming the biggest Magento front end after Luma. For those who don't know it, Luma is the basic theme that comes with Magento, and it is giantly slow. If you're looking for a template-based front end with the fastest loading times in the e-commerce industry while saving costs on development time and hosting infrastructure, Hufa is your best option. Everybody loves a fast site, including Google. Improve your Google ranking and conversion rates and make your customers happy. Learn more at hyva.io. That's hyva.io. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Yasna Burza. Yasna, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us what you do in a day-to-day role and one of your passions in life. Oh, Brent, thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored. I am by professional life and business coach. That's something I've been doing for the last 12 years. I've had a business. I'm also an angel investor. So I own multiple businesses, some passively investing in and some I'm very actively involved in. And currently I am birthing my third child, which is my book. <laughs> and it feels like I'm birthing a child. So that's what I have been by these days. I'm here in Minneapolis and just very glad to be here. Yeah, great. So I know in the green room, we talked a little bit about maybe we some work-life balance. And why don't you go into st- kind of how you start off with, say, a CEO or owner of a business and helping them personally with some work-life balance? Sure. First of all, I think that a work-life balance is a misnomer. And I 
often have these lengthy discussions around why that might not be inaccessible to all of us in today's world. More, It's more like figuring out whether we are aligned with the work that we're doing and whether we're really very present at what we're doing. Balance does not, I don't believe it exists in our everyday lives. Some weeks and some days we're going to be inundated. We're going to have a 10-hour days. And some days we're going to be completely consumed by life, by children, by... I look at a lot of my clients in the last three years being pulled from work because of the COVID and they had to go pick up their kids from school. So there's been so much instability that has been created. So I think if we can just really be present in our every single day, do the best that we can, that will be the first thing. And secondly, there is there are stages in our lives, Right. Sometimes when we have when we small children and we're maybe starting a new job and we are so overwhelmed, there's not going to feel like there's any balance in any aspect of our life. That's a season. Seasons change, thank God, right? They ebb and flow. They don't last forever. So it is finding out: do we do I find overall that balance in my daily life? But one thing that I do believe that we can do every single day to create a sort of an anchoring or a grounding and being present no matter what kind of disequilibrium we experience in everyday life is to be very intentional about our days and stating what that intention is. So the book that I'm writing about is the version to quantum physics and thermodynamics and the fact that intention can be scientifically measured. This is absolutely mind-blowing to me that we can actually use it in our everyday life so that intention changes physical matter. That's incredible. So if I know that I'm going to have a full day, I know I have to just spill coffee all over myself, I have a car seat in one hand and I have 10 meetings in a day, I can say, I am. my intention is just to move through day with grace. It's just to get through it. So that is the intention that we can have. And taking a deep breath in, we're grounding ourselves and thus showing up with that kind of energy, we affect the world around us. That's a very long-winded answer, but I hope that works. Yeah, that's No, that's great. I think that it is important. To, and I do agree that there are these times when you're going to work more, you're going to have to put more energy into something. And I, it, from personal experience, I can say in a project management world, we're working on projects all the time. And sometimes clients tend to expect 150% all the time. And what that does is just burn you out and then burn your team out. How do you... So I know we've talked about work-life balance is a little bit of a misnomer, but it does, it could happen that you are so engrossed in your work that you miss your kids and you miss all the other things that should be happening in life. How do you figure out what is that, um, what is that balancing act and how can you be more intentional in making sure that you're paying attention to the places that you need to pay attention to? Sure. Fabulous question. Thank you for clarifying. I think it starts with knowing exactly where our priorities are. And if we know that we just got a massive growth in our business or we've got a promotion in our career, we know that we're going to have to make that a priority for a little bit, for a month or two or three. So there's going to be a lot more energy and intention and effort put into that area of our life. Long term, however, that never works 
because we just were tilting the scales way too much and we're going to feel burnt out or inadequate. This is the case with a lot of women in the war, in the working world or in businesses who have children and all of a sudden they're up all night. They're expected to show up at 8 a.m. and be the most productive members of the society. And that's just really, that's a very crappy expectation of ourselves and of others. So I think that we have to ask ourselves, what is my priority right now? And when we have 3 million different projects going on, and there's all of these things that we have to work on, I think that we are going to, again, handle them very differently if we are grounded and if we are aligned. So if we feel like we are overwhelmed and we're just fighting off the incoming and we feel we're constantly inundated, it is going to be very difficult to maintain. Eventually, we're just going to fall down, right? So the image that I would like the audience to envision is Neo in Matrix, right? Is that we have, we can, through our intention, slow down time by saying, even though I have all of these things going on, I can do this. How do we do it? We do it one step at a time, right? Seneca said that by worrying about the outcome, we suffer because the fear is a thing or the fear of anticipation. It is in the future. It's not right here, right now. But majority of us are spending time anticipating. In turn, if we can, if you're able to slow down and take the time to anchor. So by, and by then anchoring before we go to work or walk into an office, full understanding that your team is under attack, that you know that you're going to be swamped. Again, you can state the intention for the day. It's what I love. People always ask me, how do I do this? And I give them the prescription like that doesn't work. Give me something that that will work in a second. Here it is. Your intention changes physical matter. It has been studied in a lab. Your intention, just by stating its intention, changes the energetic potentiality. So in quantum physics, you can have your day can look in, you can have 10 different scenarios. They're called 10 different potentialities. The one that you focused on becomes an actuality. It's called something observer effect. So if I go in with already anticipating that there's going to be crappy coffee, pissed off clients, all of these different things, I'm literally through my, through the act of observation, I am turning that potentiality into an actuality by a simple act of observing it. So in the labs, observer effect states that the atoms that we observe change their behavior. This is revolutionary, and I believe we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but we can make it so practical by, by, by understanding that we are in control of how every day goes. So for example, I today, I know that I was going to talk to you and all of a sudden the sitter canceled. There was not going to be a sitter. So I had an option in that moment to either really freak out because I think it's respectful to always show up with something that you commit to, or I was going to take a moment, take a deep breath in and say, I'm going to figure it out. So if I freaked out and said, oh my God, this is a nightmare, right? the brain would pull out the reasons for why that is so. But just because I said my intention is to figure this out, I immediately calm my body. I calm the energy around me 
And then I was very, in a very, I think, practical manner, just went about finding a solution. And I think it always goes back to grounding ourselves, setting the intention for every day. And after work, if you still go to work and the clients are just toddlers that day, right? You can park in your garage. And again, it's called segment intending. Before you walk into your house, you can take a minute and say, this was a segment of my day. I get to decide how I show up right now with my wife, with my children, with my dog. And that is science right there and then. And that is personal responsibilities. It's just sometimes we get tired and we forget that we are actually able to do that. Do you think there's a psychological effect on this intention if you're a pessimist versus if you're an optimist? You feel as though (laughs) if if you're a pessimist, you're going to come in with some negativity and your intention is going to be skewed. Absolutely. So the Dean Radin, the chief officer at Poetic Sciences, did numerous studies. And we know the belief in studies of prayer and studies of any kind, belief is the magic ingredient. So if you are a pessimist and you don't believe something is going to work it's the same with the medication that you take you could be taking incredibly powerful medication but if you deeply believe it's not going to work for you it is not going to work so that's a nocebo effect right so when we're negating that so i think that it is the belief we do have to have a belief that we are that it is possible Unfortunately, I think what happens is we get into something called cognitive and it's it's an internal cognitive dissonance. When life gets really hard, we hold on to our beliefs and we get into the victimhood of how you don't understand. It's very difficult for me because we don't know how to figure it out. And I think if we can just for a moment assume, and that's everyone across the board. I'm the first one that that experiences it. For a moment, I can just say, okay, what if this was not my truth? What if I could look at it a different way? So optimists in general are going to have a better life experience. So it's, I'm an eternal Pollyanna. I'm a realist to the core because I grew up in a refugee camp, right? It's like I had a really shitty life. I'm a realist. I know that life can be inherently horrific. I know that people can be insanely vicious and I know that life can be tragic but I'm also an optimist because even if I don't if I envision and I believe in the best expectations doesn't work out that way I'm still in a great mood so I think and that correlates with better health better sex better better work better everything I think that is we can always should always question our beliefs and absolutely there's a correlation how, let's take that one step further as a leader, as a business leader, you're projecting you're projecting onto your team something. And even if you have a client and they're projecting something onto you, if your client is projecting onto you complete negativity and everything's a failure and how, how can we fix this or something, how do you as a business leader then project on the, not just the intention, but the leadership to make sure your team is also intending on that same path. Is there a challenge in making that focus work with your whole team? I think it starts with modeling. The great, when we model calm and we model in terms of a client really throwing a fit and having a horrific experience, we can get caught up in the tailspin of anxiety and chaos and drama because when clients are mad, they're mad, right? 
and they really bring that energy into our everyday life. And it is very difficult for most of us to deflect that, to not let it affect us. We're only human. And studies do show that those people with the most powerful circle of energy, whether it's positive or negative, are going to influence us. Again, I know I sound like a broken record, but the need to ground ourselves. So for example, if we're running on empty and we happen to be in one of those meetings, we're going to lose it. We are not going to show up as a role model for our team. We're not going to be able to effectively shield the shots, so to speak. So I think that if we continually invest in, our, in ourselves by grounding ourselves, it doesn't have to be long. People think I have to do these extravagant TM meditations or whatever it is. It can literally go running to the restroom and breathing deeply for two minutes and saying, and just like releasing it. We just don't do that. We do not segment intent. We don't create any breaks between chaos to chaos or situations. So I, it, when that happens, we have a choice and sometimes we're going to lose it. Some, and that's, again, it's only human. I, every time I lose it, my husband's like, and you call yourself a life coach. That's like <laughs> the proverbial, like the best dig that he can give me, right? Because everyone does it. So then when that happens, I know, and I can say, what have I been thinking or doing in the last two days that allowed me to be so volatile? So then in, the, in that moment, we can decide to know that if the client is very angry and they're projecting and they're bringing all kinds of ugliness at us, that is a reflection of their mind and state of mind. With respect, we can hear them, but I think we can diffuse that by staying calm because it always takes two, right, to obey that. And lastly, if that is communicating that with the team. There's always, sometimes clients are just irrational, right? And in our mind, they just are. But to them, maybe we haven't delivered on something. And some, maybe there's a missed piece of communication. Moving into the accusations or engaging in the emotions. What are the facts? How can we fix this now? My intention is that we fix it with the most peaceful resolution that works for everyone. And then when you make that statement, it doesn't mean it's still not work and it's still not going to be difficult, but you're going to treat it. You're going to approach it with a very different mindset. Yeah, I can definitely relate to the losing it. And I know that I don't think my clients know that I have a button to push, but there is a button that somehow triggers within me where you feel as though whatever they're saying is so outrageous that you want to respond with, so much energy that again then you end up escalating the whole situation is there is there some tools that you use to help yourself to remain grounded when that button is pushed i know for myself my button sometimes is just a snap and boom i'm a different i'm like dr jekyll and mr hyde and I know that having slowing it down and then being like, I think intention is a great word in this one. Is there some tools that you use for that as a coach? Yes, there are two sets of tools. And by the way, welcome to the rest of the world. That's all of us. That is everyone at some point. We're just like, we just boil and we just explode. It's a release, right? The boiling point is going to happen more often when we are not engaging in, again, everyday grounding. 
right? If we are constantly, it's like when we're, um, when we're first with a partner, we're first married and they say something that really annoys us. It's just, or the proverbial toilet seat, right? Just please put it down, just do it. And then we kindly ask. And over time, I think there's a story that we create. We just don't have as much patience for it, right? Eventually it just, it just, we just explode. Number one in that moment, right there and then, the best tool that you that we all have at our disposal is breath. The way breath works, it's so simple, but so incredibly powerful if we can remember it in the moment. When we deeply breathe, we are immediately activating the parasympathetic part of our brain that's responsible for relaxation and peace and calm. Sympathetic part of our brain is the fight or flight, right? That's the active one. The two cannot be lit at the same time. So one has to win. So the breath immediately, so it's, you're hacking your physiology by, and biology. By inhaling deep breaths in and out, you're immediately calming your emotional state. So that is the first, such a simple thing to remember and I, we just don't use it. Most of us, right? I do not recall the exact numbers, but how little we utilize the breath. Most of us have very shallow breath. So that would be number one, most important thing. If you're able to then calm yourself and you can then ask yourself, like, how do I stay calm, right? Instead of just reacting, how do I do that? Because the questions you ask determine our lives, right? And if we, if we can just separate ourselves from the emotionality, we will win every single time. But after that, the really beautiful question would be to ask, why did I react the way I reacted? Right? There are times when I'm in traffic, someone cuts me off and I bless them and I wish them well. And I say to my children how they must be in a hurry. And I'm such a mother Teresa about it. But there are times when someone cuts me off and I freak out. Why? Same instance, the only variable that's different is it's me, right? So why did I react that day in that moment? And then I ask myself, and again, reminder for all our listeners, when that happens multiple times in a row, few days in a row, you know that you have a swirl of energy, that something is unco- incoherent in your mind, body, soul, and spirit, something. If you do not take the time to ground that energy, it's just going to attract more of that energy. And that is, that is thermodynamics, right? It's the question of entropy and, and finding ourselves in the state of coherence. I hope that's helpful. I get very, get very practical and then really theoretical about these things. No, I think that's very helpful. A couple of years ago, I read the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's by let's see, Travis Brad Bradbury. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had gone through a lot of my business career thinking that anger was a tool because you always see on TV business leaders getting really angry at their team and yelling and screaming. And after reading the book and going through some of their exercises, I came across the realization that it's just a negative tool and it scares everybody. And you lose trust with your team instead of gaining trust. And maybe it's different from a coaching standpoint if you're doing a football game or a basketball game. But mm-hmm. I think in a business setting, there's not a lot of place for and that button pushing tends to push away not only your clients, but your team members, your employees. Anger is very, has a lot of charge to it and it scares people. 
right? So you're right. When we're in business environment, it's if we're angry enough <laughs> and often, people will not want to be around us. Having said that, it can be a very powerful, very motivating emotion if it's not expressed or self-inflicted. What do I mean by that? There will be times when we're feeling very down on ourselves, depressed, having just having a hard go at life. Anger is then a better state than the depressive state or guilt because it has a lot more charge to it, right? When I have an angry client, I get excited because I can work with that energy. It's just an energy that needs to be directed. So I think that it can be an incredible tool if you can remember. So you can feel angry and be aware of the anger. Anger is actually my racket. It's my it's the thing that I've been working on for a very long time. Thanks thanks to my dad figuring out because he was a very angry man and for whatever reason we all come into this world having picked up something from our parents and when I learned to channel my anger and not see it as something negative I felt more in control of my life so anger can be inflicted to onto others or onto ourselves both incredibly destructive right so neither are really good but if I can be aware of my anger and state I am angry and then say, what do I want to do with this energy? What now? We anger has produced some of the incredible innovations in the world, right? And I'm a really big believer also in, on love and anger, just these opposing views very often. The more I understand myself, the more I love myself, the more I understand that we, you and I, for example, are connected right now and quantum physics say we're entangled, then I can be a little bit more kind to, to you and everyone else around me because then I am also at the same time being kind to myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really good. I think that it's hard to find that space. Like there's a space in which that anger gets triggered and taking a breath helps you step back and find some space. Tell us, I'm interested in how you channel your, I'm not, I'm, let's just say your angry client, how do you channel that anger into positivity for them? Sure. It doesn't necessarily have to be positivity. And so if we remove the labeling, it becomes just an energy that I can work with, right? So David Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher said, when you label me, you negate me. All of a sudden, if I say I'm angry or I have this incredible anger, I have an angry client, they become that. So when they come in, they're just so furious, for example, at the team or someone is not doing something. There's uh, Anger is a product, it's an emotional reaction to something unjust. It's something unfair. It's around righteousness. It's about ego. And it's also about things not being done right. And then the process that we're taking, like, what if you, what, why are you angry? Tell me all the reasons. Okay, that's great. What happened? What are the facts? And very often when you look at the facts, facts are very different than our emotional charge, right? The fact, again, someone flicking me off or cutting me off in traffic, I can be either peaceful about it or angry about it. So there was something about that particular interaction, that particular client, that particular moment that triggered us. The first is self-reflection, like we mentioned. Why did I react the way I did? 
And I always, every time my husband is like the only person who can literally piss me off to like where I really lose it because he knows all my buttons. And when he does, I'm like, why did I react? Because then I can, he serves as a flashlight into my weaknesses, into how I'm not showing up. And then I vow to do better. And so many instances where I have gotten angry or my clients have gotten angry, that became a turning point for something in the future. And then when we have this energy and we have removed the emotionality and righteousness from it, we can say, what do you want to do with this? What is it costing you to be angry? Because we know recently, two weeks ago, we had a friend who, and this is such pretty stories, Monday morning, 8.30, driving to work, had a heart attack, mid-40s. Right, is the typical American man going to work having a heart attack on a Monday morning, and the anger is such a negative influence. Like the the stress and anger are such huge correlators of heart disease and heart attack in our country. So then you have to ask yourself: We all know it's not good for us mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Okay, so now I know what do I want to do about with this energy? Here it is. You can even say, here, put it in your hands and feel it. You can give it a name. And then it's not out there that it just, you lost control over something. You're turning into something that you can mold. And we can mold that and say, great, what do I want to do with that? I never want to do that again, that's for sure. Or I want to fire that person. Or maybe very often also, this is very difficult to admit, sometimes we're really angry because someone calls us on our stuff and we know that they're right, but God forbid we ever were to admit it, right? Because that's the ego being crushed. So it is awareness, become very aware why in that moment, Make sure that you're fully understanding what it's costing you if you continue to do that. And then third, what do I want to do right now with this energy? Because energy is constructive. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, or anger is constructive. There's a lot of energy to it. And then we can redirect it. And with a lot of my male clients who are CEOs and they're very ambitious, they're very driven. One of the first things that I have them do is have them go to the gym. I was like, that's it. I'm going to fire you if you just don't go to the gym and you have to like for two hours go hardcore. And what happens is this incredible release, physical release that happens because our emotions have to, they have to fizzle out. And when that happens, then we can resume with a cleaner slate. Yeah, I can also speak from experience and you brought up the fitness thing that I'm often at the end of the day so out of energy that I don't feel like doing anything, but I'm in a running group, so we all go running, and suddenly, after an hour and a half, I come back feeling absolutely energized and fantastic, and it's 7.30 at night, and I haven't eaten anything. But that, that just that act, I think, of disconnecting from your whatever was causing you that stress and tiredness, and then going into that physical activity pivots your whole mind and self into doing that new thing or Getting your, for me, it just gets my mind out of it. And then the physical part of it, I think, flushes out all that, all that negativeness from your body. Yes. Oh my, isn't that beautiful? Look how you hacked, you hacked your day. You found what works for you. And that is so brilliant. And it will be very different for every, but that is such a powerful thing to do. And another powerful thing to do, which is a complete antidote to going hard at the gym 
is to go in nature, take your shoes off. Soon enough, or it's going to be snowing, so, so maybe here in Minnesota, so maybe not. But go hug a tree or just observe the nature around you. Studies are showing the concept of Shinrin-yoku or forest bathing within 20 minutes only being surrounded in one of the parks that we have, multitudes of trees, lowers cortisol by 72%. That is, that, that's staggering. That's measurable. That is something that is so powerful. And what is the first thing that spikes up when we're angry? It's cortisol, right? And the same thing with the exercise. So whether you sometimes feel like you just want to go and run with your friends or you just really want to go and hug a tree, both work. And I would suggest that we both try that. In the end, Brent, what I really want to make loud and clear, and this is, I have so much pushback with my editors with the book, is that we are ultimately in control of how we show up every single day. We are. And I, I've, and this is why it hurts when I fight with my husband and he calls me on it because I know it all too well, right? We're going to make mistakes because we're human. We're going to be caught up in life and difficulty and think about the world that we live in right now in chaos. We just have to do the best that we can every single day with the tools that we have. But if you start with the belief that I can change this, I can stay on top of it, you're immediately winning because that belief is going to set an entire onslaught of actions that you're going to take that are going to prove you that you're right. Whatever you believe is right. Yeah, I want to take a few minutes here to talk about learning resilience. And I know in your bio, you talk about helping people to learn to be resilient. Some people get beaten down and it's hard for them to get up and do it. How? What is your, what is your take on on being resilient and how can you help others be resilient? This is such a phenomenal question. I often get asked, resilience is a muscle. Just like we flex these biceps, babies, and shoulders, it's the same thing with resilience. It is an internal mental muscle. Unfortunately, I'm an immigrant, so I'm from Bosnia, and I'm, I had such a diff, incredibly difficult life, majority of my life. So by observation, I'm a very proud American, but there's the way I grew up was in incredibly hard circumstances, which as a child, you learn you have to bounce back simply in order to survive. What is happening for most of us is that we have become way too comfortable. We don't want to walk half a mile to a store. We don't want to handle any kind of feedback. Right now, you're thinking about it is it's become very difficult to receive any kind of feedback. I've had employees, when I would give them feedback, they would start crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really have to work on this because I'm. it's not criticism. It is just feedback. So I think it is a very big problem. And yet, the assumption is that the chaos is always going to happen around us in one form or another. Hardships and pain, disappointments and loss is going to happen. To think anything other than that is absolutely foolish, right? Like Buddhists talked about suffering is just a fact. Get ready, get ready to suffer. It, sometimes things are beyond our control. We're going to find ourselves in circumstances of incredible hardship. Expect it. 
you have to expect it. We all expect being churned in butter and always comforted by our pa- parents and taken care of by our government. And I think that is the greatest disservice done to us because resilience allows us to always bounce back better. What do I mean by that? It's like that, especially in business, for starting companies, running multiple projects, if we look at most successful people on planet Earth, they've had such a big share of failures that most of us would just like completely shrivel away from that level of exposure and stress. But what happens is that they were able to build it up. So you take it on in small doses, and the first thing you do is say, I can handle this. Let's say you have a really big project that is 40% of all your revenue, and that's a client. And all of a sudden, you lose that, and you know that you're dependent on it. It's, it you just have to tell yourself in that moment is that I can handle this. There's a beautiful, I'm not a Christian, but there's a beautiful quote in the Bible that says, I will never put more on your shoulders than what you can handle. And that always really spoke to me. There's a lot of those instances. I do believe that we are so strong and powerful. We really truly are, especially when we say that we are. So again, it's going to that, the going back to the conversation around the belief No matter what comes your way, today, a small loss or a big loss, if you just say, I don't know how, so you're not negating the presence of a total shit show storm that you're experiencing, I don't know how, but I will figure it out. And if you say that enough, in small doses, becomes this big muscle that when really big things happen, it's not even a matter of believing that you are going to take care of it. So... Today, maybe for you, it wasn't a big deal, but for me, like a sitter canceling, like that's, that disrupts my entire work day. I have an entire day scheduled today. So what I did in that moment, because I know I've been in these situations before, I knew that I was going to be okay no matter what. So that belief is an incredible activator of the actions that I take every single day in small doses. And interestingly, fitness. Fitness is a beautiful placeholder for building resilience. So if you feel like you are just like shaken by the life very often, go sign up for a hit class. Go sign up for something really challenging because what happens is that when you physically, when you push yourself to those extremes, it transfers over into the psychological part of ourselves. So that's another really powerful hack. I use it all the time. That's it. That's good. Yeah. I would also say just sign up for a marathon and that would be a challenge because you have to put so much planning into it. I think that in intention, there has to be planning backing into your intention or you're not intending. If you don't intend to do something, you're not really planning on and there's not really intention in there. So when you do... Yeah, Precisely. When, you, when you sign up for something that it, it, it is so big that you could theoretically do it the next day, but you would be in so much pain that it wouldn't be any fun. That that intention of doing that and then taking that journey, and I always say the training is the journey, the actual race is just the end of that journey, which is the journey for me is more fun than just the race. But that is an intention that you put yourself into, and maybe for business leaders as well, putting some of that intention into that planning can go back to your real, not your real, I don't want to say real life, your job, where you're going to have to do these same type of things, right? 
Every single time. You said it so beautifully. My, my husband is a triathlete and, he, and he's so disciplined in all things life. And he's a planner and I am not about most daily things. And he is. And he always says, if you fail, if you plan or if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's a very powerful, for him it's a reference to fitness, but it's in just everything. And the intention, a way of planning, right? Planning on the future. You have to pause and intend for what that is. You said it so incredibly beautifully. I think that the if we can, if there are people who live very relaxed lives, we can actually intentionally put ourselves in form of hardship and challenge by signing up for something that really makes us hyperventilate like a marathon or anything that really scares us a little bit. The more we do it, the more it becomes a muscle. So for example, I remember 10 years ago, I was in a first interview ever. And I remember it was a, I listened to myself after I spoke and I know I have an accent, right? I'm fully aware of it, but I don't hear it. And when I heard it back and heard my voice and saw my expressions, like I literally went into a mini depression. Oh my God, what? That was awful. And then I intentionally, because of what that provoked in me, it was like, I didn't have resilience. I was very, I wasn't prepared. Like I am, for example, today, I did not have the bounce. I put myself in a situation to do it over and over and over again. Anything that we do over and over again becomes a skill. It becomes a habit. We become better. We become better at it. I don't know about you, Brent, but I, I look at the world and I really do believe, and I'm Pollyanna, by the way, people listening, I'm like optimist to the core. I do believe that we should anticipate a lot more instability in the world simply with the way that things are happening. Everything is built for it. So unless we build resilience, we're going to have the most powerful pandemic in the world that is one of the mental health. We're already seeing it, how affected we are by the effects of the world. So resilience is a thing that we have to practice every single day and we can because we are strong. Yeah, that's, that's such a great lesson. Is And I think that's a really good illustration, too. The more we do something, the more it, it feels less foreign, let's say. It feels, oh, there's not nothing behind there that I'm not really sure about. Or if there is something, now I have the tools that I can deal with that something that may come around the corner. I think that's a, that, that's a great lesson to learn. Yes, now we have a few minutes left here. At the end of every podcast, I give our guests an opportunity to do a shameless plug about anything you'd like. What would you like to plug today? Oh, I would like to, instead of apply, because I came to the point where I, my intention right now for the rest of my life as I'm writing the book, I have to be very clear about the intention for my book. And my intention, I've gotten from a refugee kid in, in Bosnia, having lived through war, to living the kind of life I'm living, I think I'm good. Like, I'm so grateful to God for the life that I'm living. So I've made a decision that everything that I do going forward is to genuinely serve humanity and be of service. So I would like to, instead of a plug, invite the audience in just such a heartfelt invitation and quantum physics states that if you're listening to this, you're listening to the vibration of my voice right now, we're entangled and we're in Brent and I are entangled that you really take a moment and you maybe find yourself in the forest doing some forest baiting, focusing on mental health. This new world is ushering so many difficulties and so many challenges that I have seen in myself and I don't often react. 
and in my clients, my friends, and people at large, that it frankly frightens me. I have never seen anything like this before in my career. So I would like to make a just earnest request that we do something today very intentionally. We set an intention that we ground ourselves one form or another, whether it's meditation, lighting a candle and saying a prayer, whether it's really hugging our children or our dogs, our pets really tightly, our loved ones, or simply going into nature and communing with nature. And if you hug a tree, <laughs> then you're winning life. So that would be my, my, my plug for today. That's great. And I'm going to go up and hi- I'm going to go hug my two dogs, one Jack Russell and one Lab. The Jack Russell might be a little harder to wrangle, but I'll do that. That's such a that is such a great that's such a great little piece of parting wisdom. Thank you so much. Such uh, a pleasure. Yeah. So Yasna Burzna, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a great conversation, and I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and likewise, all success, all good. May all good and all success find you, and to the audience listening to this. Thank you for making it the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcast. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.